Welcome back to This is Hard with the Parenting Naked Collaborative. This is Misty White, and we have Danan Moore and Gretchen Levy with us today. And we're just really happy. Hey there. Hi. <laughs> today, uh, we it's May, so I don't know when you will be listening to this po podcast, but May is an important month for mental health awareness. And so I thought it would be important, and the ladies agreed that we uh, really recognize Mental Health Awareness Month. Yay! <laughs> Why is this important? Why is Mental Health Awareness Month important to you and to our, our country and our society today? And uh, it's really important because I think throughout all of our lives, at some point, we experience some kind of concern that impacts our mental health, um, whether it be a positive experience or a negative experience or a prolonged experience, it impacts the way our brain and our moods regulate those experiences and those emotions. And that is called mental health. And so mental health awareness is just saying, hey, look it, we all have it. <laughs> Let's be aware of it. Um, Gretch, do you have anything to add or Danan? Did I miss anything with that? Um, I would just add that like, the awareness piece, I think, is, is also probably an effort to normalize and for people not to feel a sense of shame around needing support with their mental health. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like before COVID, there, there was talk about mental health. I mean, you would hear advertisements here and there for it, but I have definitely noticed that driving around, um, I'm probably one of the only people that still listens to the radio, but uh, I channel surf quite often on the radio and it, it, for me, as a therapist, I'm excited to hear all of the advertisements for getting support and getting mental health um, checkups and just it's okay and normalizing it in that, in that way. And I really feel excited about it, um, you know, because I think for some people it used to be, sadly, something that they would feel ashamed about and embarrassed about and would keep it to themselves. And I feel like more and more it is being more normalized. Um, and in some categories, I feel like uh, it's kind of going to the extreme. I'm noticing that there are some teenagers out there who are really pushing for diagnoses. Uh, and I don't, I don't quite know what that is about. It's very interesting, but I've definitely had some of my teens come in who swear up and down that they're schizophrenic or um, that they have borderline personality disorder. And you're like, no, you just have puberty. <laughs> <laughs> called hormone flux. Exactly. <laughs> and so I keep telling them, I'm like, you don't, you don't want to be diagnosed with some of these personality disorders. Like that's kind of a lifelong thing that you're going to really have to struggle with. And, uh, you know, like when you get diagnosed with those things, a lot of the time it's because you've really been struggling for a long time and it gets diagnosed and it's kind of a shock to the system, but it seems like they're seeking these diagnoses out. So I don't know if it's because they want more attention or they're seeking attention. So, but that is not what this is about, um, but it's just interesting. 
uh, I want to stop for just a minute and really say such a huge thanks to all of the mental health providers right now. Um, I know that a lot of us are full in our practices or at our community-based organizations. I know we're all reaching out to collaborate with one another to try to find providers for everyone that are seeking services right now. Um, I feel like in my private practice alone, I must get five to 10 calls on average a week for different um, mental health services. And I feel very thankful and very lucky that so many people are calling, but um, I know that it's overwhelming and my heart breaks because I can't take every phone call that comes in. And I know that my colleagues are full and uh, we're, we can feel pretty overwhelmed when something like a pandemic is going on and political issues are going on and uh, we're, we're filling max because we're holding the space and providing unconditional positive regard to our clients uh, and then having to come home and be a parent or be a partner or just be human. It can be pretty taxing. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much to all of you beautiful mental health providers um, who are out there working tirelessly to support your clients. You're important. You're just in a, as important as your clients are and uh, just really impressed with everything that you guys have been doing over the last year. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Misty, for acknowledging that. I think it definitely has not gotten enough. Um, just there's just hasn't been very acknowledged. It feels like have, you know being a being in community mental health and private practice, it's been really overwhelming. I don't feel like it's something that um, you know we talked a lot about frontline workers as we should, um, mm -hmm. but you know we're kind of a kind of like a second tier frontline worker. <laughs> And uh, it's been hard and I don't, I don't hear people talking about that or acknowledging it. So I appreciate you making that plug. No, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's particularly challenging because one of our roles as a therapist is to um, not be biased. And, and actually we take an oath when we go into being a mental health provider that if you get a client and you don't necessarily agree with their principles or their morals or their values that it can really complicate things. And we really have to keep ourselves in check. Um, and it's been particularly hard with COVID and with the political things that are happening. And so for all of us out there who feel like we are doing really well with keeping our personal biases to ourselves um, and holding that space and still being supportive, um, I think that's really important to recognize too, because oof, it's not easy when you have a client where <laughs> you personally don't agree with a lot that politically or something, but you just see them as humans and you see that they're in pain and fear and being able to just put our own stuff aside and really just be supportive. And um, yeah, it's an important, it's an important role um, for, to be had and I don't know. I love it. I love it every single day. I walked into work today just so grumpy. Um, my little ADHD kiddo uh, and my little, well, now four-year-old and Zoe uh, decided to uh, be loud and wild and crazy this morning. And I was in tears walking out the door. And I just was like, oh, how am I going to make it through the day? Like my life feels like it's falling apart. I just want to like sit in the bathroom floor and cry. And I walk in and my first client 
just is amazing. And all through the rest of the day, my clients are just amazing humans. And I just felt so good at the end of the day and felt so honored. And it really made my day go better. So it's interesting how when you love what you do, it really fills you up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. other people are having that experience as well. And I hope clients, when you go in, if you do dare to go to counseling, um, I hope that your therapist makes you feel important and makes you feel valued and makes you feel heard and seen. And if they do not, go find a therapist that makes you feel important and seen and heard and validated because uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, you have the right to be choosy and you should be. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, So, you know, I think, Gretch, that's a good point there. Um, When you're looking for a mental health provider, um, some people may not even know where to start. Um, If you have insurance, you can start with your insurance panels. You can pull up the provider list. The provider list is going to be uber overwhelming. Um, It's so overwhelming to pull up that list, especially if you don't know it all the letters are at the back of people's names. Um, You know, for me, I think if I were to be looking for a provider, I would make sure that they were licensed. Um, For some people that's not important, but for myself it would be. So, you know, if you're looking for somebody that's licensed, you look for the L, um, either an LPC or an LCSW, or uh, if you want a doctorate level person, you look for a PsyD or an MD. So, you know, I would go through that route, your insurance, word of mouth, psychology today um, is a huge place that people go and look. If there's a particular theory that you're wanting, like if you're wanting an EMDR specialist or an emotionally focused therapist or a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapist, sometimes they have their own websites. So Emdria is one that you can go and find providers that specialize in EMDR. So you can find people there. Um, you can go to your local mental health department, word of mouth. Gretch, how else? Danan, how else? Yeah, I mean, I think you covered it. There's also a lot of, um, I don't even know what you call them, but um, like talk, the talk therapy, like um, better help and um, you know what I'm talking about? Better help. I think so. Are you talking about Where like the online online therapy? Yes. Uh, Mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that for folks that don't necessarily want to go in person mm-hmm. um, or need different schedules, um, you know, like a therapist that works on the weekends, if they happen to always um, work an, an inflexible schedule or something themselves on during the weekdays and they need somebody to see them on a Saturday and, you know, those are options too. Yeah. yeah. And if you're not wanting to go in person, uh, so many therapists are doing telehealth right now. Um, and so if you've never done therapy before and you're really apprehensive about going in, I would probably say 98% of us are, are doing telehealth right now. There's quite a few people who are doing face-to-face. There's still a mask mandate, at least here in Colorado. So if you're seeing people in person, uh, you most likely will be wearing masks for at least another 30 days or so. I don't know when that will be lifted, but that makes people feel comfortable. And But for some other people who don't want to wear masks, that it could be an issue. So telehealth um, might be the best way to go 
So, you know, be picky, interview your therapist, ask them how they work, what their theories are. Do they direct the therapy session? Do clients you know, direct the session? Does the environment of the office feel good? Um, you know, if you do telehealth, that part doesn't really matter too much, but just make sure that you feel like uh, you're, you know, it's a good fit. Um, I definitely talk to my clients about it, even if they're screening me for a phone call. The first session, I always say, you know what, this is great. Uh, I want you to go home, let this settle for a little bit. If you feel like it's a good fit, call me back. If you don't, don't, you're not going to offend me. Keep looking, um, but make sure it's a good fit. So keep up the search. Um, and if you yeah. fall in love the first time with your therapist, not, not really fall in love. If you really <laughs> connect with your therapist, stay with them. Keep on. Yeah, I was going to add, you know, try until you find the right fit. You, it's It costs a lot if you don't have insurance coverage. And I think to really maximize the value and to grow and learn from it, you have to be patient to find the right fit for sure. Yeah. And then and one I other thing. Oh, sorry. No, you go. One ahead. other thing for folks that uh, belong to larger uh, companies, there's the employee assistance programs where um, you can typically find a provider through that program with your um, your company. So there's some other options aside from insurance, word of mouth, and that kind of thing. But yeah, keep trying until you find the right fit. It's a commitment. And I think there's a huge value in your health and well-being when you have made a good match. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, a lot yeah. of therapists also will offer a free consultation. So like I offer a 20 minute consultation that's free of charge where you just get to ask questions and find mm -hmm. out what, you know, how do I practice? What's my style? What can you expect? What are my rates? All the questions that you just kind of want to get initially answered. And then you have the opportunity to do that. And I feel like oftentimes, just like with friendships and, uh, you know, meeting people, there's often this feeling you get from somebody within the first few minutes that you kind of know if you're going to dive or not, like you, yeah. you have a sense for that. And so, um, you know, maybe that consultation can do that. If not, I say, I tell clients that you should know if we're going to be a good fit within three sessions. So be, you know, be evaluating within those first three sessions. Um, how you feel like we're connecting. And just like Misty said, if it's not there, it's okay. I'm an adult and I can handle my feelings around that. I'm not going to be offended, but I want you to have the person that's a good fit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think good. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I am shocked when I get people who come in and say, yeah, I saw this therapist like for six months, but I didn't really enjoy them. And it's like, I was learning anything. And I'm like, you stuck with them for six months. Like, oh man, like, okay, well let's, you know, I'm giving you permission. <laughs> if this doesn't feel like a good fit. You don't have to stay for that long, but yeah, it's, it can be interesting. Um, Danan, I'm glad that you brought up pay because I think for some people that they may not want to go through their insurance. And so you may be curious about how much is a session. And all I can say is that it varies. It varies between uh, states. It varies between practitioners. Um, some companies have sliding scale, and that's really for 
uh, lower income families. Uh, some companies or private practices have interns, so interns don't charge as much. Um, if you are looking for somebody that does a specialty like couples, uh, it, you could pay anywhere from $250 an hour to $300 an hour for a good couples therapist. So on average for a 50 minute session for a master level person, it's anywhere from 120 to 160 is the average hourly rate. Um, and if you do use your insurance, sometimes it's the deductible or the copay. Um, if you are, have been a victim of a crime, there is victim's compensation that will pay up to 10 sessions that you can go through. So Danan, you reminded me of that when you were talking about the EAP program. So um, mm -hmm. if a case has been filed, um, you can apply for victim's compensation as well. So that's nice. And then Medicaid uh, has a lot of providers as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to jump into, uh, you know, a little bit more into mental health. Uh, you know, some people don't really know what a diagnosis is or what it means. Um, a diagnosis simply is our, our characteristics of symptoms that have been put together. So it's really for people to say, this person has this list of symptoms. And when you have all of these symptoms, these particular symptoms, it goes categorized under like major depressive disorder. So if somebody calls me and says, you know, I think that I'm depressed, I can look up in my uh, DSM manual and say, well, tell me some of the symptoms that you're experiencing. And if they list off six out of the 10 characteristics, they may fall into that certain category of diagnosis. So really, truly, it's nothing to be worried about if you come in and a therapist does talk to you about a particular diagnosis. Really, they're just looking at your list of symptoms and saying, hey, it looks like you meet criteria for um, anxiety disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so really it, it's sadly a way that uh, people who take insurance, we have to diagnose in order to bill. Um, so a lot of the times clinicians will um, really look and say, okay, you know, I feel like this is a good fit for you. And they'll come up with a treatment plan for you. And then they will bill your insurance, whatever your diagnosis is, whatever you've met criteria for. Um, so if you don't want insurance to have your diagnoses, if your confidentiality is really important to you, um, you will have to go the private pay route. Um, just because you have to have a diagnosis, unfortunately, and under uh, in order to get paid for through through insurance, so it's annoying, it's frustrating, it's something that we have to do. A lot of the times, clinicians would prefer not to have it. I don't know, Gretch, how do you feel about diagnosing people or having having to have a diagnosis? Um, it can be tricky. I mean, sometimes it definitely feels you know warranted. Um, because there is just so clear that, uh, you know, a person is struggling with a certain set of symptoms. Mm -hmm. But then other times, I'm not so concerned with the diagnosis. There might be lots of different things happening for a kid. And, you know, for me to need to put a label on it <laughs> is 
is a requirement truly um it doesn't always help my treatment my treatment planning yeah no I agree I agree so um some of the most common diagnoses um and and I know that I just listed them but I think it's just important because I think there's a lot of people who are apprehensive to go look for therapy and go to therapy because they're scared of what their diagnosis is going to be. Is it going to be something horrific, something that's going to stay with them? The nice thing about mental health concerns is that they're manageable. If you go and you get help and you get support, you have good social systems, you're willing to exercise or get on medication, a lot of the times mental health concerns can actually go away just as quickly as they come, they can go away. So there's a lot of hope when it comes to certain diagnoses. So I just really want to put that out there. Um, You know, there are times that I have felt depressed and felt really anxious. And probably during that time, I might fall into the category of having major depression disorder if it lasts more than six weeks. And so I can go in and go get support, go get on medication, go amp up my exercise, go, you know, go do what I feel like I can do during that time. And when I start to feel better, I may no longer meet criteria for a major depressive disorder. And so I've successfully moved through that mental health concern. Um, So I just am putting that out there. If you do get diagnosed with something, it's not a lifelong commitment (laughs) with this diagnosis. Now, there's a little caveat with that. Um, There are some diagnoses that are lifelong. So let's think, you know, one of those is uh, schizophrenia. If you have schizophrenia or somebody that you know has schizophrenia, this is just something that um, is not curable. It's something that needs to be managed. Um, It can, you know, it's managed with medication, um, lots of therapy, in-home, intensive. Sometimes there's a lot of inpatient or outpatient programs that need help. Um, But, you know, that schizophrenia is not very common. Um, I mean, I think if you work at a mental health department, you probably see it a little bit more than people in private practice. Um, Gretch, what do you think with that one? Um, I just want to add on to something you were saying before, which is, you know, that not, you don't need to be intimidated by the diagnoses. But I was also just going to add that some of the diagnoses also allow for you to say that it's situational, right? Mm-hmm. If you have like a really hard breakup and you have for the first time in your life a bout of depression, but you have no, no, no other period of your life had depression, but you kind of have it coming out of this breakup, you could qualify for depression right and so that really is sort of defining like this is this these symptoms have been brought on by this by a situation Mm -hmm. they're not you know they're not long term um they haven't been anyway yeah and same with like diagnoses like complicated grief right yeah it's just taking a little bit longer for some somebody and like i put air quotes around that because i think you know everybody has their own grief process. So what is long, what is short, it's all relative. But um, so there's different opportunities within the diagnoses mm-hmm. to specify if it's um, chronic or if it's related to the situation or circumstance. Yeah, yep, definitely. So, and I don't want to spend a, a ton of time on this, but, you know, again, we're just trying to normalize 
what some of the most common concerns are that are bringing people into therapy or reaching out to their physicians to get some medication to help them or, um, you know, just needing extra support from friends and family. Um, right now, seeing a lot of anxiety. Um, anxiety is, you know, brought on by uh, unpredictable amounts of stress and we're not really ready for it. Um, anxiety can be really good. It can be really helpful. It can be motivating, but when we feel like it just eats away at us um, and we can't stop feeling anxious, no matter what it is that we're doing, um, that may uh, force us into saying, okay, we need to do something about this. Getting medication or going to get some help to learn healthier tools to help us push through. Um, so that's one of the, the most common that I'm seeing right now, especially amongst my little teens or teenagers right now in transition and with COVID. Uh, I mean, there's just so much anxiety right now and, and a lot of uh, depressive symptoms. Uh, of course, with our podcast, if you're familiar with our podcast at all, uh, really postpartum, postpartum depression and anxiety. And uh, this is, this is uh, a cause of an increase in our hormones after we have kids. I mean, it, we either are not producing or not uh, producing enough or we're producing too many or it's up and down and up and down. So uh, you know, this is one of the things that we really are trying to be supportive of on this podcast in particular. So postpartum, uh, we also just recently did a segment on ADD and ADHD, seeing this in kids and in adults. Um, this diagnosis, I know, uh, can sometimes be pretty critical. Uh, it's a hot topic. Um, and so we hope that if it's something that you feel like you do have that you go to a practitioner or a clinician that really knows uh, what they're doing. And so they can properly diagnose you and, and help you with those symptoms. Um, I know for me, I see a, a lot of what I call adjustment disorder. So it's not necessarily post-traumatic stress disorder, but there are life events that you are adjusting to and you're, you're having a hard time adjusting and it's causing stress and anxiety, hypervigilance, sleep disturbance, um, you know, something along those lines, um, you know, it's the, over a short time period and typically we can help you learn skills and get you moving along your way the best that we can. Um, bipolar disorder, we see a lot of bipolar disorder. Again, this is not one that typically goes away. It's one that you manage. You manage it mainly with medication, diet, exercise, uh, therapy and having just really good resources. Gretchen, are there any other ones that are even Danon that you guys can think about that I'm maybe forgetting on the list of most common things that we're seeing? No, I think, I mean, for me, I think there's been a lot of increase in the adjustment disorders since COVID, for sure. People just yeah. having difficulty adjusting to these extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And then, then we've got kind of the bigger, heavier diagnoses um, and definitely see these, but borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorders. Um, I think actually I, I may not be, I don't think they're labeled personality disorders anymore, are they? <laughs> I've, they, they um, took away 
they took away the axis, the axes. Um, and so I know they're all kind of lumped together, but personality disorders are, are, are disorders, personality traits that start fairly young, but we can't fully diagnose until you're 18 or older. And typically, uh, this is not something that you're con you can cure. It's something that you need a lot of support and guidance with and help. Sometimes medication can help, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but they can be pretty a pretty uh, challenging diagnosis to have, but important so the clinicians know how to provide support to you um, with these personality disorders. And a lot of times the group-based work is most for people so that they have sort of community and accountability within those groups. And also it's provided often in an intensive outpatient format so they get more frequency of visits. Yeah. 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 So if you guys are concerned about diagnoses, hopefully we have explained um, in, in good detail kind of what to expect when you do go in. So if you go in and, and you talk to your clinician and they say, hey, you know, here's the working diagnosis, they are going to create a treatment plan with you. They're going to sit down and say, look, at, here are our goals. You know, here are the things that we think are going to help you along through this diagnosis. Here's kind of our anticipated discharge time. Um, and, and working really hand in hand with that. And hopefully after a couple months, you know, if you have extensive trauma, you've got early childhood trauma um, and you've got chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, your stint in, in therapy may be a little bit longer than somebody who has an acute trauma, like a car accident. Yes, it's significant. Yes, it's very impactful. Um, and you're working through that. But Hopefully you can work through it a little bit quicker than if you've got chronic PTSD and having to work through a whole bunch of early childhood concerns. Um, alongside of these, um, there, which is important, um, are addictions. Um, there are a lot of addictions out there right now, um, especially with COVID. I feel like it's amped up, but I mean, we've had a heroin epidemic going on in our country for years now. And so I just really want to... Um, say we get it we understand um that this is out there and just really want to recognize that you know if you are seeking help for addictions there are addiction counselors who specialize in it um for myself i am not an addictions counselor but i have people with addictions that come in because they want to work on their early childhood triggers or what trauma, if there was a trauma that they started using and they want to focus there and then I'll do that. And then if they're still struggling with addictions, then I really want to send them to an addictions counselor because that is not my area of expertise. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's about it when it comes to the diagnosis. So, Part of the normalization, and, and I talked to Gretchen and to Danan prior to recording to see what their comfort level is in talking about their own mental health and their own mental health treatment. And so um, I have said that I will talk a little bit about my experiences going to therapy because um, it's important. I think it's important. Um, the first time that I went to therapy, I was in my early 20s, and I was actually in graduate school. And um, part of our program was that we had to go in and, and do therapy, which I thought was 
really awesome of the program to say, we're not going to send you out there if you've never experienced it before. Uh, we, you know, we just said, we just feel like it would not be good practice if we said, go be a therapist, but you've never uh, had to do any therapy or work. And, you know, you get a handful of different uh, people when you go into graduate school, you've got the, uh, some of my friends call them wounded healers who have had their own trauma and they're really working through a lot of concerns and they just really want to help other people. And then you've got people who haven't really had a lot of, a lot of trauma or a lot of negative impact. And so they don't really go and seek therapy themselves. And so, um, you know, probably growing up in my early childhood, I probably should have gone to seek therapy. I got bullied quite a bit in uh, my fifth and sixth grade year. Uh, you know, my parents were not getting along. They were going to get a divorce. I found out my dad had cancer that they were not talking to me about. My sister was getting in all kinds of trouble. Um, but I didn't know therapy was an option at that age, to be completely honest. I didn't know that I could go to a school counselor. Um, I didn't know that there was an opportunity to go and speak to a stranger <laughs> who could be supportive. Like, who knew that that existed? Um, I certainly didn't when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. So going through high school, um, uh, it, it got better in high school, and I had a really good friendship group, and so I felt like I was really good. When I was 17 years old, my mom got in a car accident and her dad was in the car accident with her and my grandfather passed away in the car accident. My mom suffered a, a brain injury and a lot of trauma in that car accident and it was absolutely devastating. Uh, the mom that I knew died in that car accident and I got a new mom um, after the car accident and my, my new mom was uh, very mentally unstable. And so it was really complicated um, because I was trying to grieve the loss of my grandfather and grieve the loss of my childhood mom and learn to acclimate to a new mom who was angry. She was so angry. Uh, she was homicidal. She was suicidal. Uh, she had memory problems and uh, she did not like me. <laughs> And I say this, uh, like she truly did not like me. She did not like me or my dad. She was very angry at the two of us in particular. And I was um, really, when I, I saw the depths of, of where my mom was mentally, I was in graduate school by that time. So it happened when I was 18, but my mom did not really start to recover very well until a couple of years later. And so it was a good thing that my professor said, Misty, you, you need to go. It's part of the program. You need to go. And so I went to one of the school counselors there and she was just learning. And I, I remember going in and going into her office and one, I was like, God, she's young. She's like my age, uh, which was a little intimidating because I was like, gosh, I really hope that she knows what she's doing. And for the most part, I really liked her. She was really supportive. I was able to talk about um, my mom's car accident. I was able to talk about her anger, my anger towards her anger and the way that she was treating me. Um, and there was this breaking point though in, in therapy. Um, I'm not a loud person and I don't like to yell. I just don't, like it makes me feel uncomfortable. and. There was, she wanted me to do a role playing where she wanted me to pretend like my mom was in the room and she wanted me to yell at my mom 
Um, and if you guys have ever met my mom, you don't yell at my mom. <laughs> Denon can can speak from experience uh, or witness. Uh, my mom, uh, if you yell at my mom, she'll rip you a new one uh, and she'll rip you down pretty hard. And so even kind of talking to my therapist, I was like, I, ca I can't like not, not even pretend like I can't even pretend yell at my mom. And she pushed and pushed and pushed and I just was not ready. And so I just stopped going. I just stopped going. Um, it was something that I felt like she couldn't see that I wasn't ready. Um, I was still in just too much pain and it was just really uncomfortable for me. And I kind of wish I could go back in time and go back to her and say, look at, I need you to hear me. I need you to hear that I'm not ready to do this. Can we do a different technique or can we do something different? So I feel like I really didn't process that, that information very well. It was helpful, but I walked away uh, feeling, I don't know, feeling like, like I didn't really, it didn't really do for me what I wanted it to do. And so to kind of loop around to what Gretchen and I were saying earlier, if you feel like your therapist is not a good fit or you don't enjoy the way that they're doing things, my hope is that you can communicate what it is that you're wanting and needing because they might be able to adjust, but they can't adapt if we don't talk to them about it or if we don't say, hey, here's what's going on. So um, like I said, I, I walked away from that experience feeling like it was helpful, but still pretty stuck with that. And so um, I did not go to therapy again until, I don't know, probably 10 years later. And I chose my therapist very diligently. Um, I knew her by proxy. Um, she was one of the instructors who did um, my EMDR training. She did not do the training. A different lady did the training, but she was in the room and I watched her very <laughs> thoroughly. I was kind of vetting her. I was vetting her to see um, if I felt like she could be a good fit for me. And so, um, I got a hold of her probably four or five years after my EMDR training because I didn't want there to be um, in any kind of weirdness around that. I mean, she didn't really know me. Like I said, we kind of knew each other by proxy, um, but she was absolutely amazing. I called her and said, do you feel like uh, you would be okay with seeing me? And she said, yes, we don't know each other. Um, come in. And she was absolutely amazing. Uh, she did EMDR. Um, she held the space that I needed her to hold. Um, we had had, Randall and I had had an incident the year prior where we went to uh, Puerto Vallarta and we had our little three-year-old daughter, four-year-old daughter at the time, and uh, all three of us almost drowned. Uh, we were swimming all day and we were out a little bit farther in the ocean than we had anticipated. Um, and uh, we just couldn't get back to the shore in time. And it, we really uh, almost all thought we were going to drown. Little Zoe didn't. Uh, she, you know, was relying on Randall and I to get her back uh, to safety, but it was a pretty traumatic experience. And so I was able to go and do some EMDR with Olga during that time. And it was pretty profound and it helped me out quite a bit. Um, it brought other early childhood traumas up of my fifth grade, um, and so I was able to work that out, which was really nice. So 
I really, really appreciate uh, Olga for helping me during that time and just being there and just willing to listen. So um, I really wanted to just be bare and true and honest about my therapeutic experiences because we all have stuff in our past and, you know, we all can pick and choose to do what we want with it, but um, it really helped me. It was a really pivotal point in my life. Um, and uh, EMDR was very, very helpful. And I really encourage all of you to do it if you feel like you need help uh, processing a trauma or just experiences that when you think about it, it, it just raises the hair on the back of your neck. And you think, oh, I'd love to experience this memory without the pain or the angst that comes with it. Um, and so that is my story when it comes to therapy. Thank you. For Thanks, Missy. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, I won't dive in with as much detail, but I have been to therapy many times for, you know, a variety of reasons. Um, starting out with situational depression, postpartum depression twice, um, marriage. <laughs> and I think one thing that I appreciate that comes out of therapy is that I took care of myself and I didn't bring the baggage home. Um, and if I could just put that out there to everybody that's listening, it's so helpful to be able to take care of this, you know, issue or you know, your baggage, whatever, and not burden everybody around you. Um, I mean that as kindly as I can, but sometimes we don't realize the weight that it's bearing. And I don't think we have a, a good sense of judgment um, on how maybe we're deflecting or projecting our issues onto those that we you know, truly um, love and spend a lot of time with and are around all the time. And so you know, for me, choosing to go to therapy was definitely about how can I take care of myself so I can take care of others. Um, the silly, uh, you know, analogy of put the oxygen on yourself first before you help somebody else with their oxygen. I think therapy is very similar. And so um, it goes without saying like uh, it's life changing. It's a commitment it's like exercise and diet, you have to practice it. Um, but I think if you can get into that routine and just really be open to change to um, the uphill battle, it, it's an amazing feeling when you have kind of seen the other side, when you get to the other side and you feel like you have really accomplished something and you feel better, you know, you yourself can just walk away from it feeling like you've accomplished something. So I, I put that out there to our listeners. It's, so valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'll also just share briefly because um, I'm, I'm, we're probably getting close to our time. Um, I think my first experience with therapy, well, I know my, I, here's what I'll say. I remember my first encounter with therapy the most vividly. And I've had so many I've been in therapy a number of times, so I, I honestly can't tell you all of them because um, I sometimes would go in for like just a situational issue that felt like a crisis and get support like in, for the immediate issue um, and then other times engaged for long periods of time. So, um, but 
I've had, I've been lucky. I've had a lot of good experiences. Um, I, I also have done EMDR therapy, which was very helpful for me. Um, and then just a funny story is that, um, goes back to that goodness of fit and how important that is, is that I remember this one time when I was in my twenties and I went, but I don't remember why I was there, but it was, I was, I was breaking down. Something was going on. I was breaking down and I was very tearful and I was just, uh, just overwhelmed with emotion. And I remember that she said to me, if your tears could talk, what would they say? <laughs> for me, for me, and I'm not like, I'm, there's probably wonderful therapists out there that use that exact same phrase and it's fine. But like, for me, I just, it was just immediately like, oh no, this is not going to work. <laughs> In my tracks. So, so um, yeah, just a little, just an add on there that uh, it really is critical that you feel like you're with somebody that you get and they get you and mm -hmm. you're going to be a good pair. So. <laughs> That's funny. I'm like, I'm sure I've probably said something similar. Oh, now that I am a therapist, I'm like, it's actually not that terrible of a question but uh, at the time I had never had anybody say something like yeah. that to me before oh, and it and it bizarre. was just it was like <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> oh my goodness yeah yeah that's too funny um I I really I I I guess one of the takeaways yes of this is one just to normalize that in everyone's life, there's going to be a point where we need extra support. I mean, I've had clients who've come in who said, my life is actually going really, really well. I just want to come in and talk to somebody and I, I want to come up with a life plan and what I want to do and just want some extra support. Um, I have people that I've seen for years um, because they just feel like it's a healthy part of their life. Like what Don Danan was talking about. It's like exercise. It's a commitment. They come in and they just say, you know, sometimes they've really got a lot to say. And sometimes um, I'm like, geez, I feel like this is unethical that we're sitting here, but it's a part of their life and it's something that they need and they have value with. And they, again, felt heard and, and valued. Um, and then I've got people who come in and they're in dire straits and it is a rough session. It's tear filled and angst filled and depression filled and hypervigilance the whole time. And we're ready for it. We're prepared for it. We can handle it. Um, and if not for you, um, and I really appreciate Dunan saying this, if not for you, think about your family members because mental health not only impacts you, it impacts everybody else around you. Whether you feel like you're doing a good job hiding it, if you feel like you're denying it, you feel like it's not that big of an issue, listen to people around you, listen to the people that care about you. And if the people around you are saying, sweetie, we love you, and we feel like it's time. It's time for you to go get some extra support. Please listen to them. Listen to them. And if you're not going to do it for you, do it for them. Um, if you're a new parent and you're so suffering postpartum anxiety or depression and people around you are saying, please, it's time. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that maybe a professional might be able to guide you in ways that feel like you can get through it. 
like you can manage it. So, um, you know, just be out there, be open. Don't be scared. Please don't be scared. Um, most of us are, are genuinely nice people. Um, and, and you'll know if you're, if you're with somebody who's not genuinely nice, get up and leave. You don't have to stay. Just, you don't have to finish the session. Just say, this isn't a good fit. I know this isn't a good fit. We uh -huh. can deal with it. Um, you know, and, and, and if a therapist is hurt by it, um, hopefully they can call their colleagues and, and they can process that hurt feelings over it. That's not about you. It's about your therapist's hurt feelings. So, um, but be kind to us. We have a lot going on. <laughs> so, well, we appreciate all of your time and listening and hopefully this helped and we care about you and happy mental health awareness month. Be well, yeah. take care of you. Be good to yourselves. Thank you for listening to This Is Hard, our podcast celebrating the hilarious, beautiful, horrific, mysterious, untold, unspoken, disgusting, and amazing adventures of becoming and being a parent. Brought to you by Misty White, Gretchen Levy, and me, Danan Moore. To learn more about This Is Hard, our podcast, follow our organization, Parenting Naked Collaborative, on the web at parentingnaked.com, on Facebook or Instagram at Parenting Naked. Thank you, and until next time, be well.